I see so many people that are returning, have been away for the summer. We've missed you. It's great to, to have these little reunions. I know that a lot of you are new. Some of you are Christians and are looking for a ministry to be involved in on campus or some way to live out your faith during your time in college. Uh, this is a great place for that. We're a very diverse community and we're a community that's very serious about Jesus. And that's what we'll be talking about tonight. Um, some of you are new and maybe don't know Jesus yet or know much about him, and you're in the right place. And I know that coming into something like this can feel a little bit foreign. Um, you know, we're doing different things. We're singing songs about all sorts of words that you may not know, but I would encourage you don't quit just because it's foreign any more than you would quit your major because you don't know everything on the first day of class. Um, you have to kind of, you know, sit with it and learn and ask questions uh, and definitely don't be afraid to ask questions. And I even see a handful, uh, maybe, maybe a, a handful of alumni here tonight that are back visiting, and, um, and that's always wonderful to have some of you with us, the people that helped build this community over the years. So my name is Brandon. Um, I am one of the, the campus pastors here. I've been at UTD a long time. I would say... 26 years this week. Where were you 26 years ago? Most of you didn't exist. Um, but I came as a freshman, and uh, so I have a, a degree from the School of Management here, a, an undergraduate degree. I also have a master's from the School of Management here, and I also have a, a, a master's in theology from a seminary. And while I was here, I was a part of this ministry, and uh, the Lord, after that, called me to, to stay and um, for a lot of years, half-time, and then for a number of subsequent years, full-time work in this ministry, pastoring it and uh, helping young people connect with their faith, learn about Jesus. I had an experience a bunch of years ago um, where I went to India, and I, I got to go because I'd met an international student from India here, and we kind of became friends. And after he graduated, he was going to be back in, in Chennai, where he was from, for a few months while he was kind of waiting for some visa stuff to work out. And he invited me and a couple other guys to come and stay with him. And so we did, and we were there for a month one summer. And we spent some time in different cities. But I remember this one experience. We spent a number of days um, up near, or as a part of New Delhi, there was kind of a leprosy colony. And it had originally been outside the city, but the city had grown to sort of encompass it. And so we actually got the experience of kind of day in, day out, helping bandage these lepers. And I could tell lots of stories about that. But I remember one day kind of asking, I was like, where are all of the young lepers? Because all the people that we would bandage each day and, and help were all older. And one of the things that, that they shared with us, the people that worked there every day, that was like, oh, leprosy is very easy to cure. It's just two weeks of antibiotics. They're like, the older people are people that lived out in villages and they had the disease for many years untreated. And so it progressed and progressed and progressed. And they're like, young people come here and, and we cure it immediately. And so they don't have any of these uh, devastating kinds of symptoms. And I was reflecting on that and just how many things in life 
get so much easier if we address them when we're young. And how many things become bigger and bigger and bigger issues if we sort of put it off and wait to deal with it later. And that's a big part of why I believe in university ministry and being here among you is that I think there are chances that you have to lay a different kind of foundation in your life. I think university is a great place to think about faith. You need to be learning better questions to ask. I can promise you that for the vast majority of you, even if you grew up in the Christian faith, your childhood faith will not be enough to sustain you through a lifetime on this planet. It's a tough world. It's going to have to mature. It's going to have to change. And anytime we have changed, something sort of dies and something new grows up in its place. But that's good. You know, growing up is a little bit bittersweet. We can kind of, you know, some, a lot of us probably look back at our childhood and think like, those were the days. But if you really started thinking about the details, it's like, I don't really want to go back to those days. I don't really want to eat only chicken nuggets and PB&Js and have my mom tell me what to do all day long. <laughs> you know, it's like there were some things about that that I want to keep and that I want to hold on to, but I also want to progress. And that's a big part of what we want for you during your time here at UT Dallas. We're going to start a series tonight that we'll be doing for about the first half of the semester on listening carefully to Jesus. Listening carefully to Jesus. What were the things that Jesus said, or just a handful of them, and what did he mean by them? But the question is, why Jesus? I mean, we've already been singing songs about Jesus, singing songs about his name, but we want to talk about Jesus because Jesus is extraordinary. He is an extraordinary person. He was this random blue-collar worker in this random, unimportant country far away. He never held any sort of important office or any office at all. He never really traveled more than just a few miles from where he was. He never raised an army to make people listen to him or believe in him or do anything like that. But there's a, a quote that I like from uh, Kenneth Scott Lotteret, who's a, a Yale history professor, and he just said, measured by his effect on history, as the centuries accumulate, or as the centuries go on, the evidence keeps accumulating that Jesus is the single most influential life ever lived on this planet that he's looking at the evidence and just saying no one even comes close. And as more time passes, the gap gets bigger. Jesus is remarkable. And he was remarkable before he, as we Christians believe, came back from the dead not to die again. I ask myself the question, Jesus was born into this uh, incredibly strict fundamentalist kind of religious culture, the Jewish culture, they're so deeply monotheistic and they had these scriptures. They've preserved them even down to this day for thousands of years. And they believe in one God and they've had all these encounters with God. And Jesus picked from among 
the men in this culture who had been trained in their religion, a group of guys, and somehow those men came to believe that Jesus was, this guy, this Jewish carpenter, was the God that they had been worshiping and that their ancestors had been worshiping. What would it take? I mean, what, and, and they didn't just kind of come to believe it for a day. Each of those main guys in his life and so many others that knew him personally held that conviction even when they were murdered for it even when given a choice, recant or be tortured, recant or die. It's like, no, we, we know it. There's no question in our mind. What would it take? What would it take for you to believe that one of the people in this room was God? You know, I, I wouldn't, I don't think there's anything, even if someone here did something miraculous tonight, I mean, you might entertain it for a minute, but by tomorrow you'd be like, well, you know what I mean? It's like, and, and you think about what did it take for these guys to do this that years after they saw him, they didn't question. They stuck with this. They saw so many things. They experienced so many things that they believed it with every fiber of their being. See, Jesus is an original there's this kind of idea floating around in the culture that's like, oh, all religions are basically the same. BS, only ignorant people say that. They don't know any, that's kind of like saying like, you and this brick of charcoal are all basically the same. I'm like, yes, you're both carbon-based, I guess. I don't know, but they're not basically the same. It's like, yeah, just because we can find one or two tiny similarities, Jesus is radically different. And you have to be a student of history to understand that. This random guy, this random blue-collar guy changed the world. He did it in a lot of ways. He gave meaning to matter. If you look back at what people thought before this, I mean, go read Plato and Socrates, and matter was nothing to them. The spirit, the ideas were everything. And as a result, they did so, so many weird things. All of their science was done sitting in a room thinking. They didn't experiment with anything. Go, go look at the things that they believed about science, that smaller things would fall slower than bigger things. You didn't test that out. They didn't test that out. That wasn't matter, didn't matter to them. But Jesus gave incredible dignity that bodies matter, that people matter, that things matter. That's why the scientific revolution grew out of Christian countries, places where people were deeply committed to his word. He gave meaning and, and, and value to victims and the weak people of the world. There was nothing like that in the ancient world. Being weak was just, it just sucked. It didn't matter. You, you were at the bottom of the totem pole, but Jesus came and he treated those who were at the bottom of the totem pole so differently. 
And so you see in the early church, women and slaves and, and the severely disabled, all of these people were treated as if they had inherent value, not for what they could give to us as society, not because they were born into the right family, but just because. There was a practice in the, in the Roman world they called exposing children. It was basically their form of abortion. If you didn't want a baby, you just had that baby, and then you just left it outside. And either it died, or you know, an even better fate would be some brothel owner would come and raise you so that by age five you could be a prostitute. This is very common. And it was the Christians, those early Christians, who started going out and getting those babies and just raising them as their own. It was the Christians who came up with hospitals and orphanages, who started seeing prisons as rehabilitative and not just some place to dump people to rot. And to the extent that we forget the words of Jesus, those values are going away. See, Jesus planted the subversive seeds that are still transforming the world. He's changed the world, and you really have no idea how much yet. And I encourage you to investigate it. But if he's transformed the world that much, he can transform you. And so I want to hear four statements tonight from Jesus, and I picked one from each of the four Gospels. The four Gospels are books of the Bible that are basically little ancient biographies of Jesus. So we have four accounts of his life, four accounts of his teachings, and I just picked statements that would help us listen carefully to what Jesus has to say about the good life, about success about what it means to live in this world, because I think that is a lot of times the question you are asking. You're sitting here at the beginning of your adult life thinking about what am I going to do with these hopefully handful of decades that I have ahead of me? And I have so many choices. I have a lot of options. What do I do with all of this? And you can certainly look around even in just your own network and circle, and you can probably see some people that are doing good things with that and people that aren't using that quite as wisely. But I want us to listen carefully to Jesus. So I'm going to give you uh, the references for these, and we can look them up together. If you don't have a Bible, you can easily Google these, uh, these words and numbers and find it. So the first one we're going to do is in Mark 8, 36. Mark 8:36. And this is kind of a, a parallel passage to what uh, Peter read earlier. But what Jesus said here, he said, "What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul?" And there's a lot of context here that we don't have time to go into. But this is a great thought experiment because so often what we're doing in college is trying to sort of see how much of the world can we gain? How much stuff can we get? How much can I accumulate? How many nice things can I have? How much respect can I get? And Jesus asks the question, if you get all that and throw yourself away, where does it leave you? If you get all of that, and, and you lose you, where does it get you? 
And so Jesus calls people to follow him. He says things like, I am the way and the life. He says, follow me. Come be like me. And that, these are radical claims. Again, these were things, not only did he say them to this handful of people, he basically told them, I want you to repeat them ad nauseum for the rest of world history. I mean, this is a bold carpenter from Palestine. That he had a vision to say, someday, I want people on UT Dallas campus in the 21st century to also choose to be just like me. It's either hubris or he knew something big. What good is it for you if you get all of your goals, all your degrees, you get the 4.0, you get the best job, you save up, you get the American dream, you're one of the few who actually gets to own a house, you know, of your generation. You know, you get all that stuff, and yet at the end of it, you've lost you. You've lost your soul. You've lost what makes you most valuable. And Jesus would say, you need to consider that. See, Jesus is extraordinary, and he wants you to be extraordinary too. Most people will spend their lives questing after those things. Most, the ordinary people, will just see how much of a pile they can make to pass on to their kids. And that's the posterity that they've got. But he wants you to be extraordinary. Let's turn over to Matthew 5. This is what Rebecca read to us. Matthew 5, 46. And, and to, to get this, you have to understand that in, to the, the audience that Jesus is speaking to, tax collectors were kind of like the traitors of the country. These were the people that they were Jewish, but they had gone to work for the oppressor. And not just like, oh, they were an employee in an office. It's like, no, these are the people that come take your money and give it to your oppressor. So these are, these are just the scum of the world. And then he talks about pagans, the people that don't even know anything about God. They don't know any truth whatsoever. So listen to what he says. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. One of the things I hear so many people talking about in our culture is just being a good person. I'm a good person. They're a good person. Everyone's a good person. You know, and I mean, there's a couple of bad people. You know, you, you pick that based on whether you're a Republican or Democrat, who's the bad people, plus maybe a handful of murderers. You know, it's like, but most people are just kind of good people. But Jesus doesn't want you to just be a good person. He's like, yeah, so what? Lots of people are good people. I'm not asking you to be a good person. I'm asking you to be perfect like God. Right up above in verse 45, he said, you can be children of your father in heaven because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. God is not a God of tit for tat. He's not someone who loves only those who love him. He's like, yeah, the worst people in the world do that. And we look around and see people that do that. Oh, they're a good person. 
And Jesus is saying, not good enough. He doesn't want you to be ordinary. Jesus is extraordinary. And he wants you to be extraordinary too. Look over in Luke 12. In verse 48. You know, I grew up in in church and and some people I you know I've shared my story at different times with different ones of you but my story really starts with um, my dad who was a chemist and was not a Christian had not really grown up a Christian but actually came to know Jesus on a college campus through a campus ministry and so he got to live a very different kind of life have a very different story but He's a man of, of deep conviction. And so me and my siblings, we were very much raised in a Christian household. And, and that was a really positive experience. I, I had none of the experience that I know some have had where they look and see their parents as real hypocritical in some of that. But my parents are very serious and sincere and generous and loving, not just to us, but, but to others around. I got to watch that front row seat. Um, but then I would hear stories in church and, you know, you hear these, these testimonies that are so powerful and touch so deeply of, you know, people that had just hit absolute rock bottom and, and then, you know, God came into their life and there was this transformative power. And I, I, I never like regretted my own story, but I, was, I remember thinking, I don't really have a testimony like that. I don't have a story to share of this deep life change and this transformative moment. But I remember even as, as a very young man, I think near the end of high school, reading this verse, and it just hit me like, this is my testimony. So I want you to hear, I'm going to start in the middle. He says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And there's a couple things here that, that really hit me. One, I was like, yes, this is me. God has put me, I'm, number one, I'm in America. So I'm basically like top 5% of the world in terms of opportunity and wealth. You know, number two, I'm not like a poor person in America. And so, you know, we like to sit and point fingers at the 1%, but if you're in here, you're, you, there's a good chance you're in the 1%. Maybe not of the U.S., but of the world. And so we, you know, I have all these things, all these opportunities, have been given so many things. And I found that this scripture freed me from comparing myself to anyone else. It didn't matter what they were given. What was expected from me is based on what was given to me. I remember studying with a, uh, the Bible with a guy who had only loosely kind of been around Christianity, and he, he came here, and he had a lot of questions about faith. And I remember his first question, he's just like, what do we do with like people that have never heard about Jesus or what do we do? You know, he was just asking a lot of the questions that we all ask. And I was like, those are great questions. It's like, have you ever read any of the scripture? And he hadn't. And so I was like, read these biographies of Jesus. And so he read two of them and we got back together the next week. And I was like, what stood out to you? And he goes, well, he goes, what stood out to me is that Jesus doesn't treat everyone the same. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, 
He's more fair than that. It's like if they ought to know better, he treats them one way. And if they don't know anything, he treats them a different way. That he's just deeply fair. That people are held to account for where they are and what they know. And I was like, wow, that's a pretty deep insight for your first read through, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but that, that's what Jesus is saying here, right? You're gonna, more will be expected if you've been given more. And I think, again, all of us have been given different amounts, but all of us have been given quite a bit. And when you've been given an extraordinary amount of opportunities, of intellect, if you're at UTD, you've got an intellect that is above average, you know, of relationships or whatever that is, more will be expected from you. The scripture uses the image of stewardship for that, that everything belongs to God, but you've been given some of that to take care of for him. But at some point, he's going to come back and say, what did you do with that? Did you do the things that were important to me? And that doesn't mean that everything, I'm not talking about like working in the church. I, don't, I think God cares about a lot more things than church work. I think he cares about how we treat all of his kids. And sometimes his kids are our kids. And sometimes they're our parents. And sometimes they're our neighbor. And all these other people. But he is going to demand an account. You've been given an extraordinary amount, and, or, and Jesus wants you to live an extraordinary life. For others of you, you may look at your life and think, I got the short end of the stick. You know, and, and some of you did in different ways. There's been, I can... I know some of your stories, and, and th those of you that are new, I know what kinds of stories there are. Stories of awful abuse, of pain, of sickness, of all sorts of things. And the good news is that your misery can become your ministry. That even that God can use to bless others. Not only you, but others. The last scripture I want to look at is John 15, 5. John 15, 5, or actually 4 and 5. And these are bold words from Jesus once again. He's talking to his followers and he says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And in this scene, Jesus and his followers are walking through basically like a, 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 an olive grove. They're looking at all these plants and things like that. And he just looks and he says, yeah, like I'm like this trunk of this plant. You either stay attached to me and you can be fruitful or you don't. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I think our invitation for you this year and even in this series as we listen carefully to Jesus is to come and see what Jesus means by this. That he invites you to a level of intimacy that 
I will tell you is beyond you right now. I know because it's beyond me right now. It just kind of keeps leveling up in my life. There are things I don't understand yet, and there are things you don't understand yet. But if he's right, then trying to live without him is kind of like being a branch laying on the ground and trying to be fruitful. It's just not going to happen. You've cut yourself off from the source. See, Jesus is extraordinary. And he wants you to be extraordinary too. And he wants to empower you for that. He wants to give you everything that you need for that. But it's not going to happen just lackadaisically on accident. You've got a lot of opportunities this year, and they're not all in this room or in this ministry, but there are a lot in this ministry. To join a core and find a group of peers who are seeking and trying to understand the same thing, who are asking the same kinds of questions, and not just to be there and sit in the corner and like, you know, I hope you make this good for me, but to see what can you bring to that discussion that it may be your question that catalyzes the best discussion. It may be your comment or encouragement to someone that builds them up. So to join a core and then actually join the core. My dad would always say, be there. And when you're there, be there. <laughs> you know, to do what we call in our community a focus on Jesus study or FODGE or FOJ, you know, that, that we have this this idea in our community of studying the Bible one-on-one. -on -one. Not because that's where you're going to find the, the best Bible teaching. I promise you, you can find better Bible teaching than anything you'll hear in Focus on YouTube. It's out there, you know? Now, you can also find a lot worse on YouTube, and sorting through that, that's up to you. But, you know, there's great stuff out there. But you know what you can't find on YouTube? A spiritual friend someone that will walk alongside you, engage with you, and have this, this give and take of exploring faith, searching for truth, and trying to figure out what this Jesus guy is all about together. You know, coming to F and F, listening, engaging, asking questions, going to a church on Sunday morning, doing the same kinds of things, it can add up. But I would challenge you this year to spend at least as much time on trying to figure Jesus out as you do entertaining yourself with a screen every week. At least as much time. My guess is our average is that we get about 10% as much time as we do on screens, but that will not produce an extraordinary life. It just won't. And I invite you to talk to a pastor if you would like to. We have a lot of pastors in this room. I'm one of them, and, and we, can, we can point you out. Any of those core, we call them corfas. The fa is for facilitator. So just so you know, they facilitate the core. Um, 
Some people like make it through years of focus and never know. They're like, oh, that makes so much sense. It's not just the 100% nonsense word. It's only like 50% nonsense word. So core facilitators. But one of those people that's leading, because again, they're not your superior. They're your peer. But they are a peer who stepped up and said, I am going to devote some of my time this year to helping facilitate spiritual growth and, and real community among people who need that. And that is an incredible service to you. So don't sit in judgment on them. Join them. Support them. Be a part of what they're doing. To facilitate means to make something easier. You can be a core facilitator too. You can facilitate things too. Praise team, you guys can come back on that. So as we go into these coming weeks, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be trying to listen carefully to Jesus about a whole lot of topics, to hear what he said. The Bible says a lot of other things besides just Jesus's words, but it can be a valuable exercise just to listen to Jesus because his words have echoed down through history and are still changing lives and cultures in a way that no one else compares to, inside or outside of Christianity. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna take just a few more minutes to sing, and we sing because again, singing is one of those ways that we work truths into our hearts and not just into our heads. So many of the things, I've read a lot of scripture. It's hard to memorize scripture. It's easy to memorize songs. And so we take truths, we distill them down, and then we use them so we have access to them on an ongoing basis. And we also use that to just bring glory to God. So God, I wanna pray that you would touch our hearts tonight. I wanna pray that you would open us up to hear from Jesus. I wanna pray for people who are new to this community that you would Bless them with great friends. I pray that their time at UT Dallas would be a time of growth, of health, of healing and transformation. And I want to pray that people would be able to look back um, at this time as a time that started so many good things in their lives. But not only that, that they would be able to look back at this time as a time where they were able to start good things in the lives of the people around them and that those would only continue to grow in the decades to come. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.